She's telling the same story about the food journey, different person. But I'm gonna let this play a little bit. I'm gonna uh, be right back in five minutes. Fortunately, we don't know where we're going when we begin our journey, or we might not take that step. And as we noted, um, let's go back for a moment to the image of the fool who's actually behind me. I don't know if you can see me. He's about to step off a precipice. He's very optimistic. He has his little white dog, perhaps representing his instinct to remind him to pay attention to where he's going. He doesn't seem to be paying attention, however. The sun is shining on him. He has a small pack, not much, and the white rose for purity and innocence. Now, in the tarot, we notice a couple of things that are significant. Uh, one is that his sleeves seem to be the image of fire. And fire is an image in Tarot that, be, that speaks of the beginning, of the first spark. So he's carrying the fire of life, and he is also carrying the wheels on, uh, on his uh, shirt, um, which might intimate the wheels of fortune. And he's about to begin his journey. Note that his number is zero, and we will come back to this. So, this is a quote by Tolkien. The road goes ever on and on, down from the door where it began. Now far ahead the road has gone, and I must follow if I can, pursuing it with eager feet until it joins some larger way where many paths and errands meet. And whither then, I cannot say. And this is a very appropriate beginning to the fool's journey. Jung says the soul demands your folly, not your wisdom. Pointing to the fact that it is in that foolishness that we ask the question. So some tarot elements here. Um, the tarot structure and content is a symbolic depiction that, that is a reflection of the universal and the personal experience. What's interesting here is that it originates from an oral and pictorial tradition. Um, just as the language of the dream is a language of image and symbol and metaphor, we find in the, because the tarot is a symbol system of images, our psyche then is able to work with it in a much more direct way than we do with words. Um, I've, I've been working with the images now for several days intensely, and I find that when I do that, you may notice I'm kind of grasping for words until I get in, until I shift gears into it. So the divination is a prayer for guidance to the gods. And, and the 78 cards, which is a full tarot deck, um, includes the minor arcana, which uh, corresponds 
to air, fire, earth, and water, and also corresponds to Jung's uh, four uh, personality types. And uh, I think somebody, there's some music in the background. We, I don't know. Uh, I'm going to mute them for you. If you guys are just getting logged in, please go ahead and mute your microphone. Thank you. Thank you. So there are the 78 cards and the major account of 56. And what we're going, and there, we would use the entire deck if we're looking into information, uh, inviting or entreating the gods to speak to us. But in this case, we're using the major arcana, of which there are 22 cards, and they depict the paths that the soul takes towards wholeness, or what you can call individuation. And the major arcana functions by itself as a meditative and a reflective tool, and it allows the psyche to function as a bridge. Um, and the psyche is a bridge between the spirit and matter, between the collective world and the personal world. Um, so this is a quote by Jung. If one wants to form a picture of the symbolic process, the series of pictures found in alchemy, which we'll be talking about as we move forward, also seems as if the set of pictures in the tarot cards were distantly descended from the archetypes of transformation. The symbolic process is an experience in images and of images, as we were just saying. Its development usually shows in an antiodromia structure, like the text of the I Ching, and so presents a rhythm of negative and positive, loss and gain, dark and light. So we're moving back and forth between the two. And the enantiodromia, as Jung speaks of it, is uh, the definition of it when we have gone on the path as far to one extreme of dark or light, for example, as you can possibly go, nature will begin to spring and swing it back in the other direction. Um, and so the enantiodromia shows the path, which is a spiral path moving back and forth. Um, so what is the tarot? Is it a journey of self-discovery and understanding that leads to wisdom? Is it where the collective meets the personal? The Tarot's meaning and purpose in the 21st century, um, which is something I'd like to talk about right here for a moment, because I think it's relevant. We live in a time of polarity, of quickening, of enormous transitions, and a word which denotes betwixt and between, change, metamorphosis, all of these are experiences that we encounter now on a daily basis uh, through what's going on on our planet and moment to moment changes. We are caught right now between the past and the future and the present is so destabilizing and terrifying to so many of us that we don't know who we are. And we, if we have not looked inside, we don't know who what we are becoming. We are all becoming, however. Our minds are reorganizing themselves into new patterns as we, as we live with technology and interact with it. And technology, as the internet, is indeed an alchemical thing, made of idea, electrical impulse. It is fluid, it is matter, it is air, 
and it is fire, and it's about transformation. So looking at the Torah, we see images of the gods and of ourselves and how we commune with the gods once again. This is a return to the sacred art and what Jung called the work of individuation and what the occultists called the, the artless art, the sacred in matter. Beginning with the unconscious matter, the dark matter or primal matter, prima materia as the alchemists called it, that which is dross, black, heavy matter. We are on a journey to turn it into something of great value, the philosopher's stone, the elixir of life, which is even beyond gold, although gold is a symbol of that incorruptible pure substance of great value. Jung discovered this great mystery and the secret to understanding the psyche was in unfolding through an analogous series of alchemical operations, the nature of the psyche and thus bringing to light, illuminating it. When we shine a light in the darkness, we uncover all kinds of things that we may not have wanted to see, which have been in shadow, lurking under the water. And then and only then, can we begin to see what we are looking at and only through reflection, self-reflection on polarities, opposites, and the unconscious and the conscious, can we then elevate them to what you call the third or the transcendent function. So we're going to move forward here. One of the other uh, important things here is Jung spoke a lot um, about amplification and synchronicity. And the tarot is a tool that uses both of them. Or a slice of two. Yeah, so it's it's actually is interesting. Yeah, So we are not, by, by focusing and meditating on this, these images, we are not only amplifying images that are already in the unconscious, in the psyche, the imaginal realm, we also, in the divination process, are creating a synchronicity because what is happening in our external life is then reflected coming through the cards. Now, it isn't the cards that hold the magic. It's the person, it's the diviner, the person who's reading the cards that holds the magic because we are ourselves, the fool. We are the bridge between the worlds, between the unconscious spirit world and the world of the matter of matter. We are soul. We are psyche. So as moving forward, we're going to be looking at the archetypal de depiction of the initiatory stages of life, which I'm sure we will recognize. And is it a game of chance? Or is it a guide to fate or destiny? So here are some warm faces. There's three different decks here. Um, I added the one on the left because I, I really like that here the fool is a juggler. What he's juggling is the um, this astrological uh, symbols, and that's appropriate. And uh, the middle fool is the traditional rider weight deck, and the fool on the right um, is the one from the Thoth deck, uh, the Crowley deck. And as you can see, this is not quite such an innocent fool. He's much more connected to Pan. It's a, he's 
within the spiral umbilical cord, he is falling into nature. So there's an element of this that can be connected to the Garden of, State of Eden and falling into nature. And we can see beneath him there is an alligator, um, that wild intense, he's being bitten by the tiger. But there's also elements of earth, such as the disc, the, uh, the earth element, he's got the earth, the fire, the air, the water. So moving forward, um, the term, the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the fool's number, as you've know, you may have noted, um, is zero. And zero is a symbol that intimates, or actually more than intimates, is the symbol for spirit. It has no center. It is infinite. So therefore, it is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, a symbol that is uh, one for infinity. Individuation, Jung's term, is this realization of a whole that is a self for which um, he says all life is bound to individual carriers who realize it. By bringing the unconscious consciousness, every carrier is charged with an individual destiny and destination, and the realization of this alone makes sense of life in a meaningless time. So here's the full. Um, and he is the one who wears all the masks. He is the one who makes the journey. And he is also the soul itself. So uh, this is a lovely image of him both as juggler and joker and trickster. So here are all the 22 images. These are from the Rider Waite deck. And um, these are places on the journey of initiation, and we will recognize many of them. Um, I'm not sure if I can, oh, I have a pointer. From the fool, magician, the high priestess, and the empress. Some of these are very recognizable for us on our journey. This upside down hanged man is a place of reversal when we're in that transition place where nothing makes sense and we've lost ourselves and don't know where we're going. Um, this card is actually the card uh, for temperance, but in the Thoth deck, it's actually called art because it's the card for alchemy. And you can see the triangle, um, which is the tension of the opposites in the third. Here we have this wonderful image of the hermit, the holding light, the six-pointed star, where we go when we have to go into the depths in order, and uh, to refocus death, which is really a card for transformation. The devil, which might be a place we get stuck when we're caught in too much focus on the material, or we think we're stuck. Um, there's a wonderful, and I won't go into a lot of detail on this, but in Hebrew, the word, the uh, devil card, which is so scary to so many people, is actually um, associated with the word mirth. In other words, laughter will dispel it. Um, but there's more here. Uh, the tower, um, that is the end of the ego. It's a familiar one when everything crashes, 
everything we knew crashes and a series finally arriving at the anima mundi the world soul and this is where the fool is headed so who am i the wisdom begins with the knowledge that we do not know and that is the fool's journey and therefore the question of not knowing is the key so we've already talked about symbol, a symbol deriving as much from the conscious as from the unconscious. The psyche understands through image and symbol. And through symbol, symbol is a, is a metaphoric bridge. It's the way that we, um, and it's related culturally, depending on which culture we're looking at symbols through, but the universal is illuminated through symbols. And it also is able to reconcile them. Um, as Jung says here, their conceptual polarity through form and their emotional polarity through its luminosity. So what is luminosity? Luminosity is that experience when the archetypal takes a hold. And we will get more into archetype, but it's a full body experience. It's spiritual, emotional, physical, and it's, an, it's a beckoning, it's, it's the voice of the spirit coming through us. And in moments of luminosity, we have heard the voice of what we call God and are given direction. So the numinous is something that is, again, intimated or pointed to by Tarot um, in itself as it's an experience. Archetype. And this is just something I thought would be important to remember is illuminates that which we know, but don't know. So in other words, on the soul level, the essence level, we know it, but on the conscious level, we may not know it. So we get hit by it sideways oftentimes. So there's more here on archetype, which I thought was really important uh, in speaking about Tarot. Jung talks about archetypes as primordial images and um, as of uh, a biologist's patterns of behavior. So it's inborn, it's both instinctual, and it's also archetypal, it's also universal. Um, so we don't need to get too much into this um, at this moment. It's, uh, it's a little more intellectual and heady, but it's important to know that the myths and the fairy tales, the dreams, all of these, um, speak to us and that's why tarot is still so popular and there are thousands of decks now um because they dazzle they invite and they inspire us and they are numinous they arouse deep and intense affect from this unconscious and they're formless and they come into form through image and symbol and they resemble instincts which are of the body and in that they cannot be recognized until they manifest in intention or action. Um, as when we fall in love, when we are really angry, when and we don't know where it came from, when we feel intense ecstasy, and on and on. So the term synchronicity is defined by Jung, is an mm -hmm. connection of psychological and physical phenomena appearing in reality as in a meaningful coincidence. Now that's a mouthful. So basically, all it really means is that 
again, it's the collision in a sense of something happening in the outer world at the same time or very close to in time and space to what is happening in the internal world. So it's a meaningful coincidence is a much simpler way to describe it. So we talked about amplification in Jungian analysis, looking at symbols throughout culture that involve universal symbols, um, fairy tales, mythologies that we may not be conscious of. So the Torah is a tool to amplify the, the universal, the archetypal field and see it. And we talked about how synchronicity then, as we know, when we're using the Torah as a, in its divining aspect, uh, of course, um, gives us information about where we are in time and space. So Jung says, when images of the collective unconscious appear, one must extend and reinforce their meaning by all the conscious means at our disposal. And dreams, of course, are the most direct uh, of those. But uh, Tarot is one that is also always there at our disposal when the dream world is not speaking to us. So here is uh, one way and one perspective on how to... Uh, see the layers of the journey, um, which in this brief introduction, we're not going to have time to go into each of the cards um, because it's an overview. But we can see that Fool, who is zero, is the one making the journey. And there are three levels of initiation um, depicted here, and they are very linear, uh, um, but we'll go into other ways of perceiving it. Um, as you can see on the left, over here, where the arrow is pointing, is the magician. And the magician, number one, um, he has this lovely uh, symbol for eternity over his head, as does the strength card right below him. But you'll see similarities. Again, this is the Rider Waite deck, which is um, the most um, common deck, and it's a very uh, complete deck. And... Uh, and, and very lovely, very medieval. Um, so the fool is wearing the mask here of the magician and all of the other figures as he moves through his journey to arrive at wholeness, um, spirit and matter, the anima mundi. So here the magician is very important because he has all four elements at his disposal and he is the symbol for Hermes, Mercurius, and thought. The high priestess is the one who carries the knowledge of life. She's the one who moves across the desert carrying the water of life. She is the high priestess. She is not manifest. She's number two. Number three, we begin to see um, the Venus ruled great mother. Um, and here she is manifest. She's surrounded by nature. So she is an intimation of what is to come in the world. The emperor is number four, four being a very important number for Jung and its completion, and this is the great father. The Hierophant is a connecting connector, a bridge between the worlds. Um, so he's seen here as the Pope, but 
that's just a very Judeo-Christian view. He can be any connector between the worlds. And lovers is about balance, about choosing between different, the different levels of love. And here we have the chariot at the end of the first initiation, um, the, bringing the will, the personal will in alignment um, with the, the soul's will. And so this is a beginning, and I'm not going to go through all of them, but um, for the sake of time, perhaps we can come back to them. But we can see many phases here that will resonate potentially. So this is just uh, very specifically showing that same thing. Now here's a very, very important point here. As above, so below, which in the ancient uh, Hermes Trismegistus, who is the father of alchemy, and the above, so below, we're all familiar with, um, connects the universal, the archetypal world with what is below. But we have here the opposites, the tension of the opposites that Jung spoke of and the transcendent third. So therefore, between these tension of the opposites, between holding dark and light, good and evil, sickness and health, whatever the opposites are, we must, in order to come to consciousness, balance these, juggle them, balance them, dance through them to arrive at what you call the transcendent third. So here are a couple of definitions that are pulled. Um, Jung says, as I see it, um, as a three-dimensional world in time and space is like a system of coordinates. It may appear in time, space timelessness is a primordial image with many aspects. So it's connected to nature in three-dimensional The tendencies of the unconscious and the, con and the conscious are two factors that all together make up the transcendent function. And this is the transcendent function right here at the top. It's called the transcendent because it makes the transition from one attitude, which is over here, to another organically possible, which is up here. So here we bring a different view um, and one that is uh, the one that I've been studying for many years and is um, depthlessly, uh, um, it has incredible depth and it's a uh, way of looking at the cards um, on the tree of life. Uh, this is the hermetic tree of life. Um, it does uh, emerge from the Hebrew Kabbalah. Um, we don't know how ancient it is. It is uh, perhaps goes back to Egyptian times, it's very old. What's interesting is that in the middle of the 1800s, when the occultists uh, started specifically, um, started to study this, they discovered that in using these playing cards, which we're not quite sure where they came from, um, some people say they were, came from the Egyptians or the gypsies, we don't know, but they appeared in the medieval times and they are a pictorial um, story of a way to work with the paths of initiation. 
So these spheres on the tree of life represent um, God energies, um, astrological planets in some case, and the cards fit perfectly. And there happen to be 22 cards, which is an interesting synchronicity because there are 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. Now, whether that was originally the case, we don't really know, but the correspondence is extraordinary and synchronistic. And correspondences are a way that we play with Tarot. So I did an enlargement here just so we could recognize some of these. Um, so here we have the fool at the very top and he's moving between wisdom, which is a place of the of the 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 Fool's Journey. The Fool's Journey is a metaphor for the journey through life. Each major arcana card stands for a stage on that journey, an experience that a person must incorporate to realize his wholeness. The following 22 descriptions are based on the keywords mm, for mm. each major arcana card. And the keyword will be in the description of each card as we go through that. Mm, mm. We start with the Fool. We begin with the Fool, which is card number zero, a card of beginnings. The Fool stands for each of us as we begin our journey of life. He is a Fool because only a simple soul has the innocent faith to undertake such a journey with all its hazards and pain. At the start of his trip, the fool is a newborn, fresh, open, and spontaneous. The figure on card zero has his arms flung open and his head held high. He is ready to embrace whatever comes his way, but he is also oblivious to the cliff edge he is about to cross. The fool is unaware of the hardships he will face as he ventures out to learn the lessons of the world. The Fool stands somewhat outside the rest of the major arcana. Zero is an unusual number. It rests in the exact middle of the number system, poised between the positive and negative. At birth, the Fool is set in the middle of his own individual universe. He is strangely empty, as is Zero but imbued with a desire to go forth and learn. This undertaking would seem to be folly, but is it? The following two cards is the Magician and the High Priestess. On setting out, the Fool immediately encounters the Magician and the High Priestess, the great balancing forces that make up the perceived world. It is a feature of the material universe that as soon as we name some aspect of experience, we automatically evoke its opposite. The magician is the positive side. He represents the active, masculine power of creative impulse. He is also our conscious awareness. The magician is the force that allows us to impact the world through a concentration of individual will and power. The High Priestess is the negative side. She is the mysterious unconscious. She provides the fertile ground in which creative events occur. The High Priestess is our unrealized potential, waiting for an active principle to bring it to expression.
The terms positive and negative do not imply good and bad. These are human distinctions that do not apply in the tarot. The magician and the high priestess are absolutely equal in value and importance. Each is necessary for balance. We may view the negative as our shadow, but without shadow, we cannot see the light. And without a ground of potential, we cannot create. Card number three is the Empress. As he grows, the fool becomes more and more aware of his family. As with most babies, his mother, the warm, loving woman who nourishes and cares for him. He also comes to know Mother Earth, who nurtures him in a larger sense. The Empress represents the world of nature and sensation. A baby delights in exploring everything he touches, tastes and smells. He cannot get enough of the sights and sounds that enchant his senses. It is a natural delight in the abundant goodness of Mother Earth, who surrounds us with her support. The Emperor. The next person the fool encounters is the father in the figure of the emperor. He is the representative of structure and authority. As a baby leaves his mother's arms, he learns that there are patterns to his world. Objects respond in predictable ways that can be explored. The child experiences a new kind of pleasure that comes from discovering order. The fool encounters rules. He learns that his will is not always paramount and there are certain behaviors necessary for his well-being. There are people in authority who will enforce such guidelines. These restrictions can be frustrating, but through the patient direction of the father, the fool begins to understand their purpose. The Hierophant. Eventually, the fool ventures out of his home into the wider world. He is exposed to the beliefs and traditions of his culture and begins his formal education. The Hierophant represents the organized belief systems that begin to surround and inform the growing child. A Hierophant is someone who interprets arcana, knowledge and mysteries. Although this image is religious, it is really a symbol for initiations of all kinds. The child is trained in all the practices of his society and becomes part of a particular culture and worldview. He learns to identify with a group, discover a sense of belonging. He enjoys learning the customs of his society and showing how well he can conform to them. The lovers. Eventually, the fool faces two new challenges. He experiences the powerful urge for sexual union with another person. Before, he was mainly self-centered. Now he feels the balancing tendency, pictures in the lovers, to reach out and become half of a loving partnership. He yearns for relationship. The fool also needs to decide upon his own beliefs. It is well enough to conform while he learns and grows, but at the same point, he must determine his own values. If he is to be true to himself, he must start to question perceived opinion. The Chariot. By the time the fool becomes an adult, he has a strong identity and a certain mastery over himself. Through discipline and willpower, 
he has developed an inner control which allows him to triumph over his environment. The chariot represents the vigorous ego that is the fool's crowning achievement so far. On card seven, we see a proud commanding figure riding victoriously through his world. He is in visible control of himself and all he surveys. For the moment, the fool's assertive success is all he might wish and he feels a certain self-satisfaction. He's in the assert confidence of youth, strength, over time. Life presents the fool with new challenges, some that cause suffering and disillusionment. He has many occasions to draw on the quality of strength. He is pressed to develop his courage and resolve and find the heart to keep going despite setbacks. The fool also discovers the quiet attributes of patience and tolerance. He realizes the willful command of the chariot must be tempered by kindliness and the softer power of a loving approach. At times, intense passions surface just when the fool thought he had everything, including himself, under control. The hermit. Sooner or later, the fool is led to ask himself the age-old question, why? He becomes absorbed with the search for answers, not from an idle curiosity, but out of a deeply felt need to find out why people live, if only to suffer and die. The hermit represents the need to find deeper truth, the fool begins to look inward, trying to understand his feelings and motivations. The sensual world holds less attraction for him, and he seeks moments of solitude away from the frantic activity of society. In time, he may seek a teacher or guide who can give him advice and direction. The Wheel of Fortune After much soul-searching, the fool begins to see how everything connects. He has a vision of the world's wondrous design, its intricate patterns and cycles. The Wheel of Fortune is a symbol of the mysterious universe, whose parts work together in harmony. When the fool glimpses the beauty and the order of the world, if only briefly, he finds some of the answers he is seeking. Sometimes his experiences seem to be the work of fate. A chance encounter or miraculous occurrence begins the process of change. The fool may recognize his destiny in the sequence of events that led him to this turning point. Having been solitary, he feels ready for movement and action again. His perspective is wider and he sees himself with the grander scheme of a universal plan. His sense of purpose is restored. Justice. The fool must now decide what this vision means to him personally. He looks back over his life to trace the cause and effect relationships that have brought him to this point. He takes responsibility for his past actions so he can make amends and ensure a more honest course for the future. The demands of justice must be served so that he can wipe the slate clean. This is a time of decision for the fool he is making important choices. Will he remain true to his insights? Or will he slip back into an easier, more unaware existence that closes off further growth? The Hanged Man 
Undaunted, the fool pushes on. He is determined to realize his vision, but he finds life is not so easily tamed. Sooner or later, he encounters his personal cross, an experience that seems too difficult to endure. This overwhelming challenge humbles him until he has no choice but to give up and let go. At first, the fool feels defeated and lost. He believes he has sacrificed everything, but from the depths he learns an amazing truth. He finds that when he relinquishes his struggle for control, everything begins to work, as it should. By becoming open and vulnerable, the fool discovers the miraculous support of his inner self. He learns to surrender to his experiences. Rather than fighting them, he feels a surprising joy and begins to flow with life. The fool feels suspended in a timeless moment, free of urgency and pressure. In truth, his world has been turned upside down. The fool is the hanged man, apparently, martyred, but actually serene and at peace. Death. The fool now begins to eliminate old habits and tired approaches. He cuts out non-essentials because he appreciates the basics of life. He goes through endings as he puts the outgrown aspects of his life behind him. The process may seem like dying because it is the death of his familiar self to allow for the growth of a new one. At times this big shift seems to be crushing the fool, but eventually he rises up to discover that death is not a permanent state. It is simply a transition to a new, more fulfilling way of life. Temperance. Since embracing the hermit, the fool has swung wildly back and forth on an emotional pendulum. Now he realizes the balancing stability of temperance. He discovers true poise and equilibrium. By experiencing the extremes, he has come to appreciate moderation. The fool has combined all aspects of himself into a centered whole that glows with health and well-being. How graceful and soft is the angel on card 14, compared to the powerful but rigid ruler in the chariot. The fool has come a long way in realizing the harmonious life. The devil. The fool has his health, peace of mind and a graceful composure. What more could he need? On everyday terms, not much, but the fool is courageous and continues to pursue the deepest levels of his being. He soon comes face to face with the devil. The devil is not an evil, sinister figure residing outside of us. He is not the knot of ignorance and hopelessness lodged within each of us at some level. The seductive attractions of the material binds us so compellingly that we often do not even realize our slavery to them. We live in a limited range of experience, unaware of the glorious world that is our true heritage. The couple on card 15 are chained, but acquiescent, they could so easily free themselves, but they do not even apprehend their bondage. Side note. They look like the lovers, but are unaware that their love is circumscribed within a narrow range. The price of this ignorance is an inner core of despair. The Tower 
How can the fool free himself from the devil? How can he root out his influence? The fool may only find release through the sudden change represented by the tower. The tower is the ego fortress. Each of us has built around his beautiful inner core. Gray, cold, rock hard. The fortress seems to protect, but it's really a prison. Sometimes only a monumental crisis can generate enough power to smush the walls of the tower. On card 16, we see an enlightening bolt striking this building. It has ejected the occupants who seem to be tumbling to their deaths. The crown indicates they were once proud rulers. Now they are humbled by a force stranger than they. The fool may need such a severe shake-up if he is to free himself. But the resulting revelation makes the painful experience worthwhile. The dark despair is blasted away in an instant and the light of truth is free to shine down. The fool is suffused with a serene calm. The beautiful images on the star attest to this tranquility. The woman pictured on this card is naked, the soul no longer hidden behind any disguise. Radiant stars shine in a cloudless sky serving as a beacon of hope and inspiration. The fool is blessed with a trust that completely replaces the negative energies of the devil. His faith in himself and the future is restored. He is full of joy and his one wish is to share it generously with the rest of the world. His heart is open and his love pours out freely. This peace after the storm is a magical moment for the fool. The moon. What effect could spoil this perfect calm? Is there another challenge for the fool? In fact, it is his bliss that makes him vulnerable to the illusions of the moon. The fool's joy is a feeling state. His positive emotions are not yet subject to the mental clarity. In his dreamy condition, the fool is susceptible to fantasy, distortion, and a false picture of the truth. The moon stimulates the creative imagination. It opens the way for bizarre and beautiful thoughts to bumble up from the unconscious, but deep-seated fears and anxieties also arise. These experiences may cause the fool to feel lost and bewildered. The sun. It is the lucid clarity of the sun that directs the fool's imagination. The sun's illumination shines in all the hidden places. It dispels the clouds of the confusion and fear. It enlightens, so the fool both feels and understands the goodness of the world. Now he enjoys a vibrant energy and enthusiasm. The star's openness has solidified into an expansive assurance. The fool is the naked babe pictured on card 19, riding out joyously to face a new day. No challenge is too big. No challenge is too daunting. The fool feels a radiant vitality. He becomes involved in grand undertakings as he draws to himself everything he needs. He is able to realize his greatness. Judgment. The fool has been reborn. His false ego self has been shed, allowing his radiant true self to manifest. He has discovered that joy, not fear, is at life's center. The fool feels absolved. He forgives himself and others, 
knowing that his real self is pure and good. He may regret past mistakes, but he knows they were due to his ignorance of his true nature. He feels cleansed and refreshed, ready to start anew. It is time for the fool to make a deeper judgment about his life. His own personal day of reckoning has arrived. Since he now sees himself truly, he can make the necessary decisions about the future. He can choose wisely which values to cherish and which to discard. The angel on card 20 is the fool's higher self calling him to rise up and fulfill his purpose. He discovers his true vocation, his reason for entering this life. Doubts and hesitations vanish and he is ready to follow his dream. The world. The fool re-enters the world, but this time with a more complete understanding. He has integrated all the desperate parts of himself and achieved wholeness. He has reached a new level of happiness and fulfillment. The fool experiences life as full and meaningful. The future is filled with infinite promise. In line with his personal calling, he becomes actively involved in the world. He renders service by sharing his unique gifts and talents and finds that he prospers at whatever he attempts. Because he acts from inner certainty, the whole world conspires to see that his efforts are rewarded. His accomplishments are many. So, the fool's journey was not so foolish after all. Through perseverance and honesty, he re-established the spontaneous courage that first impelled him on his search for self. But now he is fully aware of his place in the world. The cycle is over. But the fool will never stop growing. Soon he will be ready to begin a new journey that will lead him to ever greater levels of understanding. love the tarot it's something that was very natural to me uh when i was a kid i like to share this little anecdote when i was a little kid
Oh, oh, oh. 
Suka Namasa Suki Come on back with you. Let's go. Loka, don't be crazy. Samata, my guys. Sukino, where you go? Tapato, come to you. Let's go. We in the bay. Shout it out for you and yours. Holla at me. I'm out here just for the fun. Let's go. Take it easy. All the planets are going direct. Are you being direct? If not, you will be in retro. Matter of fact, Jupiter is not in direct just yet. We're waiting on Jupiter. Jupiter is going to take a few days, but uh, Saturn and Pluto is already in direct. Mercury, we're waiting on Mercury to pull up and say, we already know that Uranus and, um, and, um, and Neptune, they're, going, they're in retrograde as well. So fit, go figure, you heard? There's a lot of pullbacks, a lot of do-overs. Let's go. I'm in the build.
that part. Yep. still in retrograde we're gonna push them forward let's go i'm in the building I'm not afraid. 
to you, my dear, my love, my love. To a line of my mind. Patience for the people means to be equal. Patience for a generation got a man to separation. We need the world at peace. Too many innocent people deceived. Take a look now. 
Tell me what you see. Everybody out there, everybody's out here, coming around here, getting here right now. in this separation because it's too many innocent people's deceased She's telling the same story about the fool's journey, different person, but I'm going to let this play a little bit. I'm going to uh, be right back. Give me five minutes. Fortunately, we don't know where we're going when we begin our journey, or we might not take that step. And as we noted, um, let's go back for a moment to the image of the fool, who's actually behind me. I don't know if you can see me. He's about to step off a precipice. He's very optimistic. He has his little white dog, perhaps representing his instinct, to remind him to pay attention to where he's going. He doesn't seem to be paying attention, however. The sun is shining on him. He has a small pack, not much, and the white rose for purity and innocence. Now, in the tarot, we notice a couple of things that are significant. Uh, one is that his sleeves seem to be the image of fire 
And fire is an image in Tarot that, be, that speaks of the beginning, of the first spark. So he's carrying the fire of life, and he is also carrying wheels on, uh, on his uh, shirt, um, which might intimate the wheels of fortune. And he's about to begin his journey. Note that his number is zero, and we will come back to this. So, this is a quote by Tolkien. The road goes ever on and on, down from the door where it began. Now far ahead the road has gone, and I must follow if I can, pursuing it with eager feet until it joins some larger way where many paths and errands meet, and whither then I cannot say. And this is a very appropriate beginning to the fool's journey. Jung says the soul demands your folly, not your wisdom, pointing to the fact that it is in that foolishness that we ask the question. So some Tarot elements here. Um, the Tarot structure and content is a symbolic depiction that, that is a reflection of the universal and the personal experience. What's interesting here is that it originates from an oral and pictorial tradition. Um, just as the language of the dream is a language of image and symbol and metaphor, we find in the, because the tarot is a symbol system of images, our psyche then is able to work with it in a much more direct way than we do with words. Um, I, I've been working with the images now for several days intensely, and I find that when I do that, you may notice I'm kind of grasping for words until I get in, until I shift gears into it. So the divination is a prayer for guidance to gods. And, and the 78 cards, which is a full tarot deck, um, includes the minor arcana, which uh, corresponds to air, fire, earth, and water and also corresponds to Jung's uh, four uh, personality types. And uh, I think somebody, there's some music in the background. We, I don't know. Uh, I'm going to mute them for you. If you guys are just getting logged in, please go ahead and mute your microphone. Thank you. Thank you. So there are the 78 cards and the major account of 56. And what we're going, and there, we would use the entire deck if we're looking into information, uh, inviting or entreating the gods to speak to us. But in this case, we're using the major account of which there are 22 cards. And they depict the paths that the soul takes towards fullness or what you can call individuation. And the major arcana functions by itself as a meditative and a reflective tool. And it allows the psyche to function as a bridge. Um, and the psyche is a bridge between 
the spirit and matter between the collective world and the personal world. Um, so this is a quote by Jung. If one wants to form a picture of the symbolic process, a series of pictures found in alchemy, which we'll be talking about as we move forward, also seems as if the set of pictures in the tarot cards were distantly descended from the archetypes of transformation. The symbolic process is an experience in images and of images, as we were just saying. Its development usually shows in an antiodromia structure, like the text of the I Ching, and so presents a rhythm of negative and positive, loss and gain, dark and light. So we're moving back and forth between the two. And the enantiodromia, as Jung speaks of it, is uh, the definition of it when we have gone on the path as far to one extreme of dark or light, for example, as you can possibly go, nature will begin to spring and swing it back in the other direction. Um, and so the enantiodromia shows the path, which is a spiral path moving back and forth. Um, so what is the tarot? Is it a journey of self-discovery and understanding that leads to wisdom? Is it where the collective meets the personal? The tarot's meaning and purpose in the 21st century, um, which is something I'd like to talk about right here for a moment, because I think it's relevant. We live in a time of polarities of quickening, of enormous transitions, and a word which denotes betwixt and between, change, metamorphosis, all of these are experiences that we encounter now on a daily basis uh, through what's going on on our planet, and moment-to-moment -moment changes. We are caught right now between the past and the future, and the present is so destabilizing and terrifying to so many of us that we don't know who we are. And we, if we have not looked inside, we don't know who we are becoming. We are all becoming, however. Our minds are reorganizing themselves into new patterns as we, as we live with technology and interact with it. And technology, as the internet, is indeed an alchemical thing, made of idea, electrical impulse. It is fluid, and it is matter. It is air, and it is fire. And it's about transformation. So looking at the Tarot, we see images of the gods and of ourselves and how we commune with the gods once again. This is a return to the sacred art and what Jung called the work of individuation and what the occultists call the, the artless art, the sacred in matter, beginning with the unconscious matter, the dark matter or primal matter, prima materia, as the alchemists called it, that which is dross, black, heavy matter. We are on a journey to turn it into something of great value, the Philosopher's Stone, the Elixir of Life, which is even beyond gold, although gold is a symbol of that incorruptible, pure substance of great value. Jung discovered this great mystery, and the secret to understanding the psyche was in unfolding through an analogous series of alchemical operations the nature of the psyche, and thus bringing to light, illuminating it. 
When we shine a light in the darkness, we uncover all kinds of things that we may not have wanted to see, which have been in shadow, lurking under the water. And then and only then can we begin to see what we are looking at and only through reflection, self-reflection on polarities, opposites, and the unconscious and the conscious, can we then elevate them to what you call the third or the transcendent function. So we're going to move forward here. One of the other uh, important things here is Jung spoke a lot um, about amplification and synchronicity. And the tarot is a tool that uses both of them. Or it's Isaac, too. Yeah, yeah. So it actually is interesting. Yeah, So we are not, by, by focusing and meditating on this, these images, we are not only amplifying images that are already in unconscious, in the psyche, the imaginal realm. We also, in the divination process, are creating a synchronicity because what is happening in our external life is then reflected coming through the cards. Now, it isn't the cards that hold the magic. It's the person, it's the diviner, the person who's reading the cards that holds the magic. Because we are ourselves, the fool. We are the bridge between the worlds, between the unconscious spirit world and the world of the matter, of matter. We are soul. We are psyche. So... As moving forward, we're going to be looking at the archetypal de depiction of the initiatory stages of life, which I'm sure we will recognize. And is it a game of chance? Or is it a guide to fate or destiny? So here are some warm faces. There's three different decks here. Um, I added the one on the left because I, I really like that here the fool is a juggler. What he's juggling is the um, this astrological uh, symbols, and that's appropriate. And uh, the middle fool is the traditional rider weight deck, and the fool on the right um, is the one from the Thoth deck, uh, the Crowley deck. And as you can see, this is not quite such an innocent fool. He's much more connected to Pan. It's a he's within the spiral umbilical cord, he is falling into nature. So there's an element of this that can be connected to the Garden of Eden and falling into nature. And we can see beneath him there is an alligator um, that wild and intense, he's being bitten by the tiger. But there's also elements of earth, such as the disc, the, uh, the earth element, He's got the earth, the fire, the air, the water. So moving forward, um, the term, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, the fool's number, as you've know, you may have noted, um, is zero. And zero is a symbol that intimates, or actually more than intimates, is the symbol for spirit. It has no center. It is infinite. So therefore, it is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, a symbol that is uh, one for infinity. Individuation, Jung's term, 
is this realization of a whole that is a self for which um, he says all life is bound to individual carriers who realize it. By bringing the unconscious consciousness, every carrier is charged with an individual destiny and destination, and the realization of this alone makes sense of life in a meaningless time. So here's the fool, um, and he is the one who wears all the masks. He is the one who makes the journey, and he is also the soul itself. So uh, this is a lovely image of him both as juggler and joker and trickster. So here are all the 22 images. These are from the Right Away deck. And um, these are places on the journey of initiation. And you will recognize many of them. Um, I'm not sure if I can. Oh, I have a pointer from the full magician, the high priestess, and the empress. Some of these are very recognizable for us on our journeys. This upside down hanged man is a place of reversal when we're in that transition place where nothing makes sense and we've lost ourselves and don't know where we're going. Um, this card is actually the card for temperance, but in the Thoth deck, it's actually called art because it's the card for alchemy. And you can see the triangle. Um, which is the tension of the opposites in the third. Here we have this wonderful image of the hermit, the holding light, the six-pointed star, where we go when we have to go into the depths in order, and uh, to refocus death, which is really a card for transformation. The devil, which might be a place we get stuck when we're caught in too much focus on the material, or we think we're stuck. Um, there's a wonderful, and I won't go into a lot of detail on this, but in Hebrew, the word, the uh, devil card, which is so scary to so many people, is actually uh, associated with the word mirth. In other words, laughter will dispel it. Um, but there's more here. Uh, the tower, um, that is the end of the ego, it's a familiar one, when everything crashes, everything we knew crashes, and a series finally arriving at the Anima Mundi, the world soul, and this is where the fool is headed. So who am I? Be wisdom begins with the knowledge that we do not know, and that is the fool's journey, and therefore the question of not knowing is the key. So we've already talked about symbol, a symbol deriving as much from the conscious as from the unconscious. The psyche understands through image and symbol. And through symbol, symbol is a, is a metaphoric bridge. It's the way that we, um, and it's related culturally, depending on which culture we're looking symbols through, but the universal is illuminated through symbols. And it also is able to reconcile them. Um, as Jung says here, their conceptual polarity through form and their emotional polarity through its luminosity. So what is luminosity? Luminosity is that experience when the archetypal takes a hold 
and we will get more into archetype, but it's a full body experience. It's spiritual, emotional, physical, and it's, an, it's a beckoning. It's, it's the voice of the spirit coming through us. And in moments of luminosity, we have heard the voice of what we call God and are given direction. So the numinous is something that is, again, intimated or pointed to by Tarot. Um, in itself, it's an experience. Archetype, and this is just something I thought would be important to remember, is illuminates that which we know, but don't know. So in other words, on the soul level, the essence level, we know it. But on the conscious level, we may not know it. So we get hit by it sideways oftentimes. So there's more here on archetype, which I thought was really important. Uh, in speaking about Tarot, Jung talks about archetypes as primordial images. And um, as of uh, a biologist's patterns of behavior, so it's inborn, it's both instinctual, and it's also archetypal, it's also universal. Um, so we don't need to get too much into this um, at this moment. It's, uh, it's a little more intellectual and heady. But it's important to know that the myths and the fairy tales, the dreams, all of these um, speak to us. And that's why Tarot is still so popular. And there are thousands of decks now um, because they dazzle, they invite, and they inspire us. And they are numinous. They arouse deep and intense affect from the unconscious and they're formless, and they come into form through image and symbol. And they resemble instincts, which are of the body, and in that they cannot be recognized until they manifest in intention or action. Um, as when we fall in love, when we are really angry, when and we don't know where it came from, when we feel intense ecstasy, and on and on. So the term synchronicity is defined by Jung, is an mm -hmm. connection of psychological and physical phenomena appearing in reality as in a meaningful coincidence. Now that's a mouthful. So basically all it really means is that again, it's the collision in a sense of something happening in the outer world at the same time or very close to in time and space to what is happening in the internal world. So it's a meaningful coincidence is a much simpler way to describe it. So we talked about amplification and Jungian analysis, looking at symbols throughout culture that involve universal symbols, um, fairy tales, mythologies that we may not be conscious of, so the Tarot is a tool to amplify the, the universal, the archetypal field and see it. And we talked about how synchronicity then, as we know, when we're using the Tarot as a, in its divining aspect, uh, of course, um, gives us information about where we are in time and space. So Jung says when images of the collective unconscious appear, one must extend and reinforce their meaning by all the conscious means at our disposal. And dreams, of course, are the most direct uh, of those. 
but uh, to always one that is also always there at our disposal when the dream world is not speaking to us. So here is uh, one way and one perspective on how to uh, see the layers of the journey, um, which in this brief introduction, we're not going to have time to go into each of the cards um, because it's an overview. But we can see that Fool, who is zero, is the one making the journey. And there are three levels of initiation um, depicted here, and they are very linear, uh, and, but we'll go into other ways of perceiving it. Um, as you can see on the left, over here, where the arrow is pointing, is the magician. And the magician, number one, um, he has this lovely uh, symbol for eternity over his head, as does the strength card right below him. So you'll see similarities. Again, this is the Rider Waite deck, which is um, the most um, common deck, and it's a very uh, complete deck. And... Uh, and, and very lovely, very medieval. Um, so the fool is wearing the mask here of the magician and all of the other figures as he moves through his journey to arrive at wholeness, um, spirit and matter, the anima mundi. So here the magician is very important because he has all four elements at his disposal and he is the symbol for Hermes, Mercurius, and thought. The high priestess is the one who carries the knowledge of life. She's the one who moves across the desert carrying the water of life. She is the high priestess. She is not manifest. She's number two. Number three, we begin to see um, the Venus ruled great mother. Um, and here she is manifest. She's surrounded by nature. So she is an intimation of what is to come in the world. The emperor is number four, four being a very important number for Jung and its completion, and this is the great father. The Hierophant is a connecting connector, a bridge between the worlds. Um, so he's seen here as the Pope, but that's just a very Judeo-Christian view. He can be any connector between the worlds and the lovers is about balance, about choosing between different, the different levels of love. And here we have the chariot at the end of the first initiation, um, the, bringing the will, the personal will in alignment um, with the, the soul's will. And so this is a beginning, and I'm not going to go through all of them, but um, for the sake of time, perhaps we can come back to them. But we can see many phases here that will resonate potentially. So this is just uh, very specifically showing that same thing. Now here's a very, very important point here. As above, so below which in the ancient uh, Hermes Trismegistus, who is the father of alchemy, and the above, so below, we're all familiar with, um, connects 
the universal, the archetypal world with what is below. But we have here the opposites, the tension of the opposites that you spoke of and the transcendent third. So therefore, between these tension of the opposites, between holding dark and light, good and evil, sickness and health, whatever the opposites are, we must, in order to come to consciousness, balance these, juggle them, balance them, dance through them to arrive at what you call the transcendent third. So here are a couple of definitions that are pulled. Um, Jung says, as I see it, um, as a three-dimensional world in time and space is like a system of coordinates. It may appear in time, space-timelessness is a primordial image with many aspects. So it's connected to nature in three-dimensional The tendencies of the unconscious and the, con and the conscious are two factors that all together make up the transcendent function. And this is the transcendent function right here at the top. It's called the transcendent because it makes the transition from one attitude, which is over here, to another organically possible, which is up here. So here we bring a different view um, and one that is uh, the one that I've been studying for many years and is um, depthlessly, uh, um, it has incredible depth and it's a uh, way of looking at the cards um, on the tree of life. Uh, this is the hermetic tree of life. Um, it does uh, emerge from the Hebrew Kabbalah. Um, we don't know how ancient it is. It is... Uh, perhaps goes back to Egyptian times, it's very old. What's interesting is that in the middle of the 1800s, when the occultists uh, started specifically, um, started to study this, they discovered that in using these playing cards, which we're not quite sure where they came from, um, some people say they were, came from the Egyptians or the gypsies, we don't know, but they appeared in the medieval times and they are a pictorial um, story of a way to work with the paths of initiation. So these spheres on the tree of life represent um, God energies, um, astrological planets in some case, and the cards fit perfectly and they're how happen to be 22 cards, which is an interesting synchronicity because there are 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. Now, whether that was originally the case, we don't really know, but the correspondence is extraordinary and synchronistic. And correspondences are a way that we play with Tarot. So I did an enlargement here just so we could recognize some of these. Um, so here we have the fool at the very top, and he's moving between wisdom, which is a place of the, of the, the 